Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. This is episode 26, season 2, or as I like to break it down, episode 226 of the Doc Bryant Show, and I am your host, Doc Bryant, former Navy combat corpsman, former pastor, but not former preacher, not former Christian. Welcome again to my show, ladies and gentlemen. We are at war. This is not an open, hot war. But we have been at war for the soul of this nation for quite some decades now. It is a spiritual war. Ultimately, it is a spiritual war, as described in Ephesians 6.12. And I realize that there are a lot of Christians out there for whom this information is either tedious or there are some who are so out of touch with spiritual reality that, that they consider this uh, fantastical. That uh, for, for many people out there, for many uh, people who consider themselves to be Christians out there, this is uh, not real. They don't believe in a spiritual war. They don't believe in a personal Satan. And that being the case, if you don't believe in a personal, actual Satan who is at war with us Christians, you may actually have to question whether or not you believe in a personal, actual God and a personal actual Christ. And if you do not, if you are just a Christian, so-called Christian culturally, if you consider yourself a Christian just because you go to church and you have gone to church for a long time and your parents went to church and your grandparents went to church and so on and so forth, so that makes you a Christian, then I'm afraid to deliver some really bad news to you. You are not you are not. Going to church makes you a Christian the same way standing in a garage makes you a car. And that's just a fact. The word Christian, when you break it down linguistically, the last letters, I-A-N, from Latin, indicate ownership. That means Christian, owned by, belonging to Christ. Who is Christ? That is Jesus of Nazareth. If you do not personally, individually, belong to Christ, if you do not personally, individually, have a relationship with him, if you have not given your life to him, then I am afraid to tell you, you are not a Christian. You may 
culturally be a Christist, but you are not a Christian. Christianity is belonging to Christ. Now, Christianity does not mean that we are perfect. And a lot of there are a lot of so-called Christians out there who push this nonsense that once you become saved, you become sinless. And that is not the case. That is not the case at all. Rather, what happens when you become saved is that you repent. And, and this is where there's a lot of confusion because you have a lot of legalists out there who say that that means that you now have to work at being sinless. And if you fail at being sinless, if you continue to sin, then you lose your salvation. And that is not true. That is not true. The Greek word used for repent means a change in direction. And it is the direction in which your heart is pointing. A change in decision, a change in way of thinking. When you are unsaved, your heart is directed away from God, away from Christ. When you become saved, your heart turns towards Christ, and Christ begins his work in you so that you can become the image of him on earth. Again, this does not mean that you will become perfect. However, Christ will, by the very nature of salvation, begin to work in your life and begin to take those things in your life that you had previously depended on and remove them and replace them with himself. So that because he is changing you, your behavior will change outwardly. He will be changing you inwardly. He will be working in you inwardly. And because your attitudes and the direction of your heart and your thinking will be turned rightly, so your actions will begin to turn rightly. Very rarely, very rarely, is there an instantaneous change. And I've seen it happen in people. I've seen it happen in some people where there is an instantaneous change. And it's actually, again, recorded in the Bible in the book of Acts when it talks about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul. That was a very radical, instantaneous change. But that was also because of the nature of Saul himself. Saul was zealous for God, and he thought what he was doing in persecuting the Christians initially was in service of God. And that is why all it took, and I say all it took, 
was Christ appearing before him and telling him, hey, you're doing it wrong. Basically hitting him upside the head with a spiritual mallet, as it were. And then Saul was like, okay, then if I was being zealous, hardcore zealous in the wrong direction, I will change and become hardcore zealous in the right direction. And that's what he did, to the point where the Christians had to send him back to his hometown to cool his feet for a little while. Until he calmed down a little bit. But cases like that are very rare. They are very rare indeed. In some cases, like in my particular case, my personal case, major massive changes took decades. Take a long time. Because a lot of that stuff that is inside of us, that is beaten into us by Satan and his world system, causing us to develop unhealthy coping mechanisms are heavily, deeply ingrained and take a long time. Those weeds have deep roots and they take a long time to dig out. But Christ is faithful and he works diligently in our lives, individually, to heal us and to remove those things, those things that we think we need to survive. He removes them from our lives so that we can rely on him. And a lot of times it is uncomfortable, and a lot of times it is painful. Transformation, fundamental transformation, individual fundamental transformation is uncomfortable or at least it can be, but when it is over, it is freeing. There's a reason that it is called salvation, folks. It is freeing. It takes a while. It takes a lot of hard work. It takes, but, but when it's over, it's freeing. And you feel so much better. Part of this, what, what this ultimately is, is Christ shaping us into who we were designed to be. It is our creator fixing us. The world system... Satan's world system beats us down. It is designed to twist us 180 degrees out of phase of what God designed us as individuals to be. And Satan has many, many, many different ways of doing this. Many, many different deceptions. He has had Oh, around 6,000 or more years of dealing with humans in experience as far as how to lead our hearts away from God. And the further he can lead us, 
the more he is able to twist us. But the, the, the really ironic thing is we tend to do all the work. All he has to do is dangle something attractive in front of us, the same way he did in the Garden of Eden with Eve and Adam. He dangled something pretty in front of them. It even says in the Bible how the fruit was attractive and looked good to eat. It was something pretty. And then he added a little a little of his own flavor, lying about the fruit and saying, this will make you like God. And the stuff that is happening in our culture today is the quintessential expression of that. The transgender movement, which seemingly just appeared out of nowhere to a lot of people. A lot of you out there are like, where did this insanity happen? When did this start? This actually started 6,000 years ago, folks or over 6,000 years ago, or under, depending on which calendar you follow. The Jewish calendar has it a little under 6,000 years. But regardless of the time, this started that long ago. This was set in motion that long ago. It just happened to catch up with us in this country. This, this country, or certain parts of this country, are starting to deteriorate rapidly into the third world hellholes that Satan absolutely adores. That is Satan's design for us. Go and look at Detroit. Go and look at San Francisco. Go and look at Los Angeles. Go and look at New York City. Go and look at Chicago. Those places are third world hellholes. Then go and look at Haiti. You will see zero fundamental difference between those places. Zero difference. And that is what Satan has designed for us as humans collectively. You see, God created us as individuals. The proof of this is in our DNA, quite literally in our DNA. God created us to become individuals. He wound up magnificent, perfect machines in Adam and Eve, that would be capable of creating an infinite number of beautiful individuals that could have beautiful individual relationships with him as children do with a father. That was his design for us. And Satan, his design for us, is that we become enslaved to our own passions, and by doing so, become enslaved to him as a collective and worship him as a collective. All you have to do to see evidence of this is look at the, the current cult that is 
called wokeness. They do not tolerate. They do not tolerate any deviation from their belief system. And their belief system is ever stricter to the point where it becomes impossible to meet all of the constantly conflicting standards that they set. It is the very definition of insanity. The definition of the term psychosis is a break with reality. And that is what we are facing. You see, the ultimate reality is God. God is reality. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He wasn't just spouting anything. When you read the Bible, folks, and you'd better be reading your Bible, you had better be reading your Bible, and you'd better not just be reading it, just going over the words, oh, those are the words, and this, he said this, and he said that. You'd better be studying it. You'd better be thinking about it. Because if you're not, you're still making yourself a potential victim of Satan. It will be easier for him to lie to you if you are not rooted in the truth, if you are not rooted in reality. There is not a single solitary word in that book that does not have some kind of purpose or meaning. Jesus did not say anything that did not have purpose or meaning. So when he said, I am, he was referring to himself as God. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus when, he, when God refers to himself as that, I am a self-existing being, the beginning and the end. He is the beginning of time and our reality. And he will be the end of it. But he himself has been ever-existent, uncreated. I am that I am. So when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was referring to himself as God. The way. Not a way. The way. The truth. With a capital T, I put the capital T on there. The truth. Reality. The life. He is the only way to reality, to truth, and to life. Okay, a lot of people say, oh, there's many different ways to God. Well, I guess that depends on who your God is. Because Jesus quite clearly states, I am the way, the truth, the life. Okay. 
Now, a lot of you are saying, well, you just said that the, the Satan side is, allows no deviation and stuff and so on. So there's, there's no difference. There is a difference. God's way doesn't change. Look at the cult of wokeness and look at how frequently their standards change. If you want to be a good wokester, wokest, their standards are constantly changing. Who is the protected class this week? And how do we protect them? And, 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 and look at how frequently they will turn on each other. And one who was perfect follower one week. And, and then all of a sudden the rules change. And now they're cast out. And there are some denominational churches that do this. But that is not Christ's way. Christ does not change. Reality does not change, folks. Reality does not change. Reality is reality. And to the extent we deviate from it, we damage ourselves and those around us. And again, going back to the definition of psychosis, which is a break from reality, a belief that reality is something other than what it is, and then that becomes a belief that we can actually shape or create our own reality. And in doing so, we tell ourselves that we can become our own gods. And that is Satan's ultimate trick. You see, it is true. Well, it's kind of true. The saying that was quoted in the fantastic movie, um, The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's not entirely true. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that God didn't exist. And if you can convince the world that God doesn't exist, then you can convince the world that Satan doesn't exist. And that's how it worked. You convince the world that there is no such thing as good, then you can easily convince the world that there's no such thing as evil, hence creating moral relativism. And through that, you can convince the world that evil is good. You can create an orthodoxy of evil, which is what wokeness is. Wokeness is the spirit of Antichrist. Okay, I'm not, uh, when we use the term Antichrist, it isn't necessarily referring to the individual referred to in Revelation. There are a lot of Antichrists. The spirit of Antichrist is all over the place. Anybody who is anti-Christian is technically an antichrist, not the antichrist, but an antichrist. 
And wokeness is the spirit of Antichrist. It is the orthodoxy of evil, an ever-shifting orthodoxy, constantly changing. I have many, many times said that Satan is not only the father of lies, the father of sin, but he is the father of mental illness. He is the father of insanity. And this evil that is wokeness is designed to destroy Christianity. And this nation, the United States, despite what so very many pundits in the secular media would have you believe, was founded on Christian values. And the majority of the founding fathers were Christian. Read their writings. It will tell you. One or two of them were deists, people who believed in a God but didn't know who he was or hadn't bothered to find out who he was. Which brings me to a really quick point. There is a God. The proof of it is right in front of your eyes. The very fact that reality exists is proof that there is a God. The very fact that order exists is proof of a designer. You cannot have a design without a designer. It is impossible. You cannot look at paintings such as the Mona Lisa or Starry Night or various other paintings and be able to identify the person who painted them. You cannot look at, in my case, something that I appreciate very much, a really cool muscle car like a Mustang or a Charger or a Challenger or a, or a Cuda, a Hemi Cuda, 1971 Hemi Cuda, which is like my dream car, or a Shelby Cobra, like, uh, what, I think it was 51? I'm not sure. I might be wrong on that, on the Shelby Cobra, but Shelby Cobras are really cool. It, I got a neighbor who has a classic Shelby Cobra. You cannot look at those things and think to yourself, oh, those just appeared out of nowhere. You can't look at those things and realize, oh, that was made by or designed by Carol Shelby. These cars were designed by Ford. These these cars were designed by Chevy. Mercedes-Benz. Or again, looking at beautiful artwork. A Monet, who happens to be my favorite. Manet. I like the Impressionists. And look at these various paintings and go, that was painted by him, that was painted by her. Read a magnificent book or series of books like The Lord of the Rings or The Chronicles of Narnia. That was written by somebody. And then you look up at the heavens and go, oh, that just happened by accident. You look at the meticulous machinery of a single human cell. 
and think, oh yeah, that just happened by accident. No, there is a designer and there is a reality and it behooves you as an individual to find out who that person is because if there is a designer, then that means that designer designed you And your DNA is proof of your individualism. Because if a designer wanted robots, he could have made robots. We make robots all the time. But this designer made you individually, personally. So then you got to figure out, well, why did he design me individually and personally? Why did he design me like this? What is my purpose? And then, in order to find out your purpose, it is only logical that you find the designer. So that the designer can tell you what your purpose is. These are all logical. But through Satan's system, because Satan does not want you finding the designer, and he sure as hell does not want you to find your purpose, because you will be happy in your purpose. He doesn't want you to find that. He wants you miserable. He wants you despondent. He wants you sad. And in being that way, you will be worshiping him. And you will be just like everybody else. Just like all of his other servants. You will be part of a collective of miserable, sad people. Look, look at the woke people. Do they look happy to you? Have you ever seen video of a woke person who is happy. One of my favorite theologians and philosophers who, God, unfortunately, he, it turns out, was taken down by Satan through his own desires, which happens to a lot of people. So, you know, and we're flawed, we're humans, so I'm not going to knock him personally because I'm not perfect in any way, shape, or form. And any of you out there listening who actually know me can attest to that. But he made a very good observation. And I don't know if it was him who made it or if he was just quoting it. But I'm going to quote it. Because it's true. See, Satan tempts us with pleasure and wants us to worship pleasure, wants us to become enslaved to our own passions and pleasures. That particular philosophy, that pleasure is the greatest good, is referred to as hedonism. And that's how Satan gets us. He gets us with hedonism. But in trying to follow hedonism, in trying to follow our passions, in trying to follow our pleasures, in trying to fill 
the God-shaped hole in ourselves to fill that missing piece which can only be filled by God himself. And God himself, being infinite, cannot be filled by anything else but something infinite. Means we are infinitely throwing pleasure into that hole and trying to fill an infinite hole with something finite, which is illogical. It doesn't make any sense. And eventually, in doing so, over and over and over again, and not being able to fill that hole, we become despondent. And we turn to nihilism, or if you are from across the pond, nihilism. And nihilism, as I like to use the term, nihilism is the belief that everything is pointless. And that is where Satan ultimately wants you as long as you are alive. He wants you miserable. He wants you sad. He wants you despondent. He wants you hopeless. And he wants to keep you there. He wants to keep you there, and then he wants what ultimately follows nihilism. And that is death. Hedonism always, always leads to nihilism. And nihilism leads to death. Satan doesn't care about you. There's that old saying that I prefer heaven for climate and hell for company. It doesn't work that way, folks. Hell is not some big frat party where you get to indulge in all of the vices that you ever wanted to out from under the watchful eye of an oppressive God. That's not what hell is. Satan is going to hell. I don't know why, but it appears that angels are irredeemable. I think it may have something to do with the fact that we humans are the only creations that were made in the image of God. Angels were not made in the image of God, apparently. Although in the Old Testament they are referred to as sons of God. That's something I'll have to look into. See? That's 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 where Bible study comes into comes into the you 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 have to study the Bible. But I digress. We are made in the image of God. We are redeemable. Jesus is our redeemer. The word redeemer means to purchase. Which brings us right back around to the whole thing about us Christians belonging to Christ. He is the one who saved us from nihilism. Satan is going to hell. That sentence has been passed. He is headed there. And his only revenge against a God that he cannot destroy 
is to destroy those who were made in the image of God. And that's what he has set himself about doing. And so he fools people into thinking, oh, I want you to have pleasure. And pleasure is good. Unlimited, unbridled pleasure is good. Come follow me and you will be free. But we weren't designed to work that way. And when you use something in a manner that it was not designed to be used, guess what? It's going to break. And that's what Satan wants. He wants you broken. He wants you permanently broken. He wants you despondent. He wants you hopeless. And he wants you dead. And he wants you dead outside of the salvation of Christ. Because then then you are irredeemable. Then you're going to hell with him. And it ain't going to be a party. And he doesn't care about you. He cares about hurting God through you. All throughout the Bible and all throughout history, we see Satan's people, people who have given themselves over to evil, specifically targeting God's people. Originally, it was Satan trying to destroy the Hebrews who became the Jews, God's people. And then Christ came, and Satan tried to destroy Christ. And physically, he succeeded, at least initially. But then, because Christ was sinless, death could not hold him. And so he came back. And now Satan has to go around killing Christians so that they do not save other humans. Satan thought that he had won when he killed Christ. He thought it was over touchdown, he had spiked the ball, he had done his end zone dance, and then three days later Christ shows up and claims the deed to the earth and claims the deed to our lives. But just like in the beginning, God gave Adam and Eve and their descendants the choice as to whether or not they would follow him, Christ, having redeemed us, gives us the decision whether or not we are going to follow him. And that is entirely up to us. Because unlike Satan, Christ is not going to try to force us to follow some kind of orthodoxy. He is just going to ask, are you going to follow me? Are you going to be on my side? Are you going to have a relationship with me? Love 
cannot exist without free will. You cannot force somebody to love you. And Christ cannot force us to love him. Again, if he wanted robots, he would have made robots, but he didn't want robots. He wanted people who would be in a relationship with him through their choice. And if you choose not to, okay, that's on you. You can choose to ignore reality, but you cannot ignore the consequences of ignoring reality. That's on you. And I'm telling you folks, Satan paints being a Christian as as something oppressive and evil, and the, the fact is that he has twisted himself, he has twisted many so-called churches into that very thing so that he can perpetuate that lie. But it ain't true. As a follower of Christ, I am telling you right now, it is not true. There is no orthodoxy to follow. There is just Christ. That's it. And getting to know him. And finding out what our purpose is in him. That's it. There is no enforcement of stuff. It is just stuff that you decide you don't need and you leave by the wayside because you've got him. You have that person, that thing, that will fill that God-shaped hole. In Christ, you have that thing that will fill that hole in you. It is an infinite-sized hole that can only be filled by an infinite, and he is that infinite. As he said, I am. That's what he meant. He is our designer. He is the one who can tell us what our purpose is. And all you have to do to find that out is just get to know him. And you get to know him through prayer. You get to know him through reading his word and understanding his word. And I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with a certain amount of ritual. There is some uh, comfort. In ritual, but I, I, I am very reticent to endorse ritualism because ritualism can very quickly become orthodoxy, and ritualism can very quickly become the point. To the point where you can believe that without the ritual, you can't be saved. And again, that's another trick of Satan. You know, yeah, there is a certain comfort in the ritualism. But that 
you know, comfort really is an enemy. Comfort is an enemy. I look at C.S. Lewis's writings when he talks in, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Aslan is introduced. And one of the things I love about the description of Aslan, who is, uh, who is Christ, is that Aslan is not a tame lion, but he is good. Christianity, we, we humans, I don't think we're designed to be robots. I know we weren't designed to be robots. God made us individually, and I think we were designed to be a little bit wild. I think we were designed, I know we were designed, because God says in the Bible, we were designed to be free. We were designed to be free from sin, and being free from sin is actually wild. And so I get that there are some people who who enjoy the ritualism, and I even like to a certain extent, to observe, uh, not myself to observe, to, but to watch people going through, you know, certain rituals. Like recently I, I went to a, a Greek Orthodox wedding and there was, it was interesting, okay, to observe a Catholic mass is kind of interesting, but the, the, the hang-up, the problem that I have with that is that it's very easy to get into the thought pattern that you are saved through the rituals, that the rituals are necessary. This is the very same teaching that the Pharisees taught to the Jews. The traditions of men, the rituals of men, were the way that you achieve salvation. And again, right in the face of that teaching, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not through rituals. And I have talked personally to people who believed that they were saved because they followed certain rituals in the Catholic Church. I can't remember what they call them, but there are certain rituals that one has to follow in the Catholic Church to be to achieve salvation. There are people who believe that, and this person I was talking to actually believed that they were saved through their own uh, through stuff that they did. It's not the rituals that save you. So that's just another trick of Satan to turn Christianity into a chore and then to convince other people that that's real Christianity. That is not real Christianity, folks. It ain't. It's not. What? Just read through the Gospels and see how Jesus purported himself in the face of the rituals of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. How many times he was chastised by them for breaking their traditions. 
how many times that happened. That happened constantly. Jesus was the ultimate rebel. His teachings were radically outside what had been taught to the Jews for the, past, for the previous 400, 460 years. His teachings still are radical because they oppose orthodoxy. They oppose ritualism. You can get trapped in ritualism. Real life, free life, is not necessarily comfortable, but it is good. This is what the world system opposes. They don't want you free. Satan doesn't want you free. Satan wants you trapped in orthodoxy. He wants you following him. He doesn't want you filling that God-shaped hole with actual God. He doesn't want you finding out your purpose. Because if you find your purpose, other people around you might see your joy in having found your purpose and want to know how you found your purpose. And then you'll tell them, and then they'll find their purpose, and that takes them away from his revenge. Satan wants you dead. He wants you dead inside, and ultimately he wants you dead outside. And so we have the Church of Wokeness, an ever-shifting, ever-stricter, satanic orthodoxy, insanity, Mass psychosis is the very definition of a mass psychosis. And its design is to destroy Western culture, to destroy a nation founded on the principles of Christianity. That is its purpose. And as I have been pointing out in my previous podcast and my videos, it is failing. At least ultimately it is failing. It is managing to bring down some. There are some insane lunatic people out there who have completely and totally given themselves over to the orthodoxy of wokeism. And they, but even they are not irredeemable. At any point, that person can change the direction of their heart, can repent. And again, repent only means change the direction of your heart. Turn around. That's what the, the word literally means in Greek. It means to change direction. 
And at any point, anybody can do that. They can choose to do that. But there are some people whose hearts have been hardened to the point that they won't do that. And so they're trapped. They have trapped themselves. Don't fall into orthodoxy, folks. And, and don't, don't be of, that's another thing, another place that Satan wants you as a Christian. He wants you afraid. He wants you fearful. He wants you worried. He wants you scared. Folks, how can you be worried? How can you be fearful? How can you be scared? If you are on the side of the one who already won the war, the war is over. Christ won the day he rose from the grave, the day he ascended into heaven, the day he accepted the deed to the earth. Christ won. The war is over. The only thing we are doing now as Christians on this earth is a cleanup job. It is a rescue operation. It is to suppress Satan wherever he is working. The Bible frequently refers to us Christians as a kingdom and a priesthood. Through Christ, we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. Through Christ, we are kings. Through Christ, we are priests. You don't have to have a little white collar to be a priest. Through Christ, we are priests. It is our job to rescue the lost. It is our job to suppress Satan wherever he is working, and we do that through prayer. Prayer is powerful. We are not victims. We are victors. It's over. We've won. Game is over. Game, set, match. There is nothing left for Satan to do but to try to kill as many of us as he can outside of Christ. That is the only thing he can do, and we are here to stop him. But Christ wants us fearful. Christ wants us watching MSNBC and CNN and, and all the other alphabet soup agencies and saying, oh, no, look at how terrible this is. Oh, what are we going to do? This is just awful. What are, what are you going to do? You're going to stand up. The Bible states very clearly, resist Satan. And what will happen? He will stand and fight. Oh, he will fight against you valiantly. No. The Bible says, resist Satan and he will flee. He will run away. But you know why? Because he knows he can't win. He knows he's already lost. If some stuff is going wrong, pray about it. Get on top of it. There's a reason we have prayer. There's a reason we have Christ. Pray about it. Now, I'm not saying that, 
Oh, you pray about it and you'll get a billion dollars and you'll be happy and, and, and get all the pleasure you want. This ain't about pleasure, folks. We already talked about that. This is about being able to kick some serious spiritual tail. This is about being a victor. This is about winning a war. As a Christian, you're a warrior, and war is uncomfortable. War is wild. But we are on the side of good. And let me be very, very clear here. As clear as Paul was in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We are not at war with those people. We are at war with Satan, the one who deceived those people. That's where the war is. The war is won in the spiritual realm. And you win the spiritual war by being aware of it first. By being able to discern where Satan is working and what things are just the result of a broken world. But in both instances, this is really cool, folks. In both instances, the answer is the same. Our operation is the same. We pray about it. Prayer works. Prayer is our weapon. If you're not praying, you're not doing your job. I've read books by by A.W. Tozier, by uh, uh, by Ravenwood, um, Leonard Ravenwood, uh, uh, Andrew Murray, just any number of authors that I've read, and multiple of these authors have said if you're like if you're in a church and the church ain't praying then the church is not doing its job. And I believe it was in Leonard Ravenwood's book where he goes right at the pastor and says to the pastor, if you are pastor of a church and your church is not praying, you're not doing your job. You're wrong. Fix yourself. We are kings through Christ. We are priests through Christ. We are victors through Christ, and we are warriors through Christ. The war is finished, but the battle still needs to be won. And the reason that this is going on is because while Satan is trying to deceive and destroy as many as he can, Christ wants to save as many as he can. He wants as many as were designed to be born to be born and as many who can be saved to be saved. And that's what we're here for. He operates that way through us. And, and I, I, there, I can hear the people out there right now. Well, if Jesus wants to do that, then why doesn't he just come down here and enforce it himself? 
already answered this? Already answered this? He already did come down, first of all. And there are still people who don't believe. Just like in the, in, the, in the story of the rich man and the poor man. And the rich man says, well, send, send Lazarus back from the dead to tell my brothers about what will happen to them if they don't repent. And Moses said, even somebody coming back from the dead will not convince people. And when Jesus told that parable, that was a foreshadowing of what was going to happen. Even him coming back from the dead was not enough to convince people. That's how blind and insane they are. But we have to represent him on earth. And here's my second point. There will come a point that Jesus does come back and enforce perfect justice, perfect law on the world. A perfect government. And there are going to be a lot of folks who don't like it because a lot of folks will still, I mean, humans will still have free will to either follow or not. He will provide an example of a perfect life and a perfect existence, and people will still resist it and reject it. But again, that'll be on them. I mean, ultimately, it's up to the individual whether they're going to follow or not. Ultimately, it's up to you whether you're going to follow or not. I mean, the, the saddest words I have ever heard spoken were, I hope I'm saved. I hope you are too. I hope everybody is. But that's up to them. I can't force it on them. Yeah, that's, that's one of the red flags to see if you're in a cult is if you're forced to believe, if you're forced into orthodoxy. And then that's, that's not freedom, folks. That's a cult. And, and I can't do anything but tell you my experience. I can't tell you anything but what I have studied in the Bible itself. And I have studied the Bible. But even still, the years that I have spent studying the Bible, I haven't even studied it enough. I feel like I haven't even scratched the surface. And I've been studying the Bible for decades. And I, I still feel like I haven't, haven't learned enough. I'm always constantly finding something new. Which is why I, I keep going back to learn more. 
Uh, that's just that's my thing. That's I think that's part of my purpose is to is to study stuff and learn stuff and teach stuff that I study and learn. It's it's a blast. <laughs> it is definitely it is definitely my favorite thing. And one day I sincerely hope that I can actually be paid to do it. Uh, until then, I'm I'm just like any other Joe. I got a regular regular job that pays the bills. But still, that's life for now. Folks, thank you for listening. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that this helped you. If you have any questions about anything Bible-related, or Christianity, or whatever, or culture, or politics, you know, how all of this stuff fits into to, to what's going on in the world. Because that's what this podcast is about. That's how I view things. I view things through the lens of Christianity, through the lens of the Bible. How what's going on now fits into reality, the reality of the Bible. And if you have any questions, hit me up. I love to answer questions. So send me an email at docbryantshow at zohomail.com, Z-O-H-O-Mail.com, and ask your questions. Send me your comments. Let me know how this has touched you. I, I want to hear from you. I like a good conversation. I love a good conversation. That's, that's another thing that I, I really enjoy is a good conversation. You can also catch my videos because I do videos on specific items uh, that are happening on bitshoot.com, B-I-T-C-H-U-T-E.com, odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, and rumble.com, not YouTube, because YouTube, they would kick me off in a heartbeat, and I don't even want to waste my time. And besides, YouTube is is the, is is rapidly uh, becoming the, the MySpace of uh, the video streaming world. Uh, right now, it's still the top dog, but it ain't going to be for long. I'm telling you that right now. Uh, unless, of course, they decide to change, which all of us can. But still, I'm not on YouTube. I've got some old stuff on YouTube, but I'm I'm not on YouTube anymore. So BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey. That's where you can see my videos on uh, a lot more specific subjects. And uh, you can hit me up in the comments there. And if you are watching this, because ultimately this will be converted into video, if you're watching this on BitChute, Rumble, or Odyssey, you can catch my podcast anywhere. It's The Doc Bryant Show. And you can get my podcast anywhere there are podcasts except Apple because I will not fill out their paperwork. They got like three pages of that stuff. I'm not filling out Apple paperwork to get on iTunes that nobody listens to anyway. But Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Amazon, Audible, 
I'm, I'm all over the place there. I like Stitcher. That's, that's just me. That's just my person. But Spotify is cool too. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not knocking any of them. Anyway, once again, thanks for listening. I love you guys. I'm praying for you guys. Praying for all of us. Keep in prayer, folks. Keep in prayer. Prayer is so important. So important. That's how you keep in touch with God. Okay? Why would you not want to keep in touch with God? What's wrong with you people? All right. Thanks for listening. I wish I could talk to you all all day. I really do. Thanks for listening. I will talk to you all later.